and welcome back to another episode of every horror movie on netflix the show where we watch review and discuss every horror movie on netflix i'm patrick and i'm back this week with chris hi and steven hello and the first question i have to ask you guys today is are you horny a little bit <laughs> i just took a i just took a hot shower <laughs> oh man I, I plead the fifth there. on that one, but <laughs> what the? My first question to you guys is, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> That's a valid question. I don't know if we're really going to get to a solid answer by the end of this episode. <laughs> Lots well, to unpack uh, here. If you listen to the end of last episode, you know that this week we watched and are about to discuss Horns, the movie in which Robert Pattinson is a goat. Right, Chris? <laughs> the movie in which Robert Pattinson is a goat. I wasn't far off. Uh, I, you know what? I think they used. It says Daniel Radcliffe, but I think they used both. There were some scenes where I was like, "Nope, that's Edward Pattinson in that shot." I think they replaced him midway through filming, like Mark Hamill. Edward Pattinson. Is that Robert's- <laughs> Robert? Robert Pattinson. <laughs> Robert Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> oh Maybe. man, I would have loved it if Robert Patrick was in this movie. Uh, God, remember, you, you, Stephen? Have you seen Walk the Line? Uh, no. Oh well, I know Patrick's seen Walk the Line. Uh, you know, a ser- serviceable Johnny Cash biopic, in my opinion. But the standout is just like three quarters of the way through the film, they go to Johnny's dad's house, and it's Robert Patrick sitting at the dinner table, oh, <laughs> and he steals it. the whole movie. I did not realize that. I almost want to rewatch that. Uh, yeah, serviceable at best movie now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He it's the it's the best part of the movie. Mm. Well, before we get into our discussion of horns, uh, what have y'all been doing in your horror-filled little lives since last we spoke? I watched a thing last night, uh, um, a movie called Hunted on Shudder. It's a movie of, like, it's a foreign film, but it's, like, it was made by people from a bunch of different countries and with different accents and languages, so of indeterminate origin in my cursory research. But it's kind of like a rape-revenge movie that doesn't quite get to the rape, and that might that understandably will put people off in the beginning and it's a movie that doesn't have a lot to offer the genre uh politically socially doesn't offer much either but it is one of those films where every 10 to 12 minutes something absolutely shocking happens sometimes it's horrifying sometimes it's hilarious sometimes it is just inexplicable uh no spoilers but if you want to watch a short a zippy movie that has a surprise, you know, at every beat. Definitely check out Hunted on Shutter. But that's all I've been up to. Do you guys have anything? I I just don't know how to explain what I would mention, or I would mention it. Well, let's t- talk us through it. Give it a shot. Well, you know, I've I've been had a lot of you know time on my hands, pandemic and all. I've been playing a lot of video games, as I mentioned. Um, I just played this game called Days Gone which was huge when it came out. It was very hyped when it came out. It's like, imagine The Last of Us meets Red Dead Redemption, but not half as good as either of them. 
and a gruff biker drifting through the Pacific Northwest, uh, scavenging shit, killing zombies, and dealing with other people out on the road. Now, this mo- this game is so broken in so many ways. You play it for an hour, you're like, this seems like a bad game. You play it for five hours, you're like, this seems like a fucking horrible game. You play it for ten hours, you're like, this is the most broken game I've ever played. You play it for 50 hours, it's your favorite fucking game. I love this game. It sounds and like I, Stockholm uh, Syndrome to me, Chris. <laughs> a little bit. It's it's like just such a, a mishmash of... Of, of writing follies and and technical bugs that somehow manages to be really charming and legitimately great, in my opinion. I love this fucking game. It's my probably the favorite game I've played in at least a year. Um, and I just can't explain it or why this game is so good, in my view, even though it's objectively bad. But it, I've been having a blast. And it's called Days Gone? Day is gone. Wow, it sounds like it delivers on the title. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, my s- several days are gone, <laughs> and I loved every second of it. That is just it's it's so hard for me to imagine, and, and I'm gonna. I think this is the perfect moment to bring up something that I wasn't even really planning to talk about on the cast, but this is germane to the topic you just brought up uh, for Christmas. Chris gave me his PS2 and a few different games, including Silent Hill 2, which I had been really curious to play and really. You know, that's that's a that's about. a borrow, right? You know, that's a borrow. Well, right? yes, yes. You gotta for, give it back. Yeah, Chris is too much of a cheapskate to actually buy me something for Christmas, so he just lent me some shit. So I play Silent Hill 2 for 45 minutes, and I just found the controls impossible to manage. It was it was dull. It was boring. I just. I rage quit after 45 minutes and I haven't gone back. So to hear that you sat through not one, not five, but 10 plus hours of disliking this game, it's, it's impossible for me to imagine. But, you know, I tip my hat to you because that takes a, a certain kind of character. I, I will die for this game. My couple of quick horror-adjacent recommendations for this week are, as usual, comic books. I feel like we have this kind of theme going where Stephen recommends some actual horror movies, Chris recommends horror games, and then I recommend horror comics. But uh, I read Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely's We Three today. Uh, oh, which ma- a, masterpiece. Oh, yeah. It was a reread for me, but I, I don't know what it was that made me want to revisit it, but I picked up a copy actually today. And if you're not familiar with it, it is about three animals, a dog, a cat, and a rabbit who have been converted into military killing machines. And weird and stupid, potentially, as that sounds, it is horrifying, it is graphic, and it is just heartrending. You will yes. care about these animals, you will be invested in them as characters, uh, as you also both thrill and reel in horror at the terrible carnage that they inflict on everything in their path amazing read oh and frank quitely's art like i i a couple of specific pages jumped to mind where like the way that he both amplifies and delves into the specifics of the carnage in across certain pages is oh i'm getting shivers thinking about it i might have to revisit that one too yeah it's a brilliant use of the comics medium it's one of those things that you just couldn't do in any other medium it's incredible 
Uh, also been reading, uh, I've been making my way through a full read through of X-Men comics starting from back in the 70s and 80s and have been getting into uh, New Mutants, which was a spinoff that came out in the 80s, recently was turned into what I hear is a terrible movie. Mm. Uh, but the first several issues are pretty standard, like kind of a lot of it is fairly dopey superhero fare. And then all of a sudden, like surrealist horror master Bill Sinkevich shows up about 15, 20 issues into the run and just delivers jaw-dropping artwork in the story about a demon bear who is mm-hmm. stalking the uh, the characters. You're familiar with this one, Stephen? Yeah, I read a lot about it. Um, I haven't read the actual comics. I planned to, but when I heard the movie was coming out, it was going to be horror. I looked up some of that art and wow, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like kind of a mix of every kind of fantasy art that I like wrapped up into one. I have loved Bill Sienkiewicz for a long time. He also seems to be like a really cool dude in real life from what I can tell. And his art is just, my God, it looks like nothing else. Yeah, it's impossible to describe. Just go look him up. Uh, Yeah, because you can figure out how to spell it from the way I just pronounced it, which actually is correct pronunciation, but still S-I-E-N-K-I-E-W-I-C-C is the spelling of his name because you're totally going to go google or or just just google x-men demon bear yeah that'll work too new mutants demon bear and don't look at any of the pictures of it from the movie anyways speaking of demons let's talk about horns hell of a oh my god oh my god i just watched this movie Oh yeah, you and you look uh, the worst for wear. I must say <laughs> this. This I I screamed multiple times. Oh, dude, I I cackled. I think cackled is the best verb to use a couple of times, and that's I'm not going to reveal what I cackled at until we get in the spoiler room because it's deep in spoiler room territory. But yeah, oh boy, this is a wild, wild ride. <laughs> well, so to set it up, this was based on, I think, a 2010, 2011 Joe Hill novel. Joe Hill, of course, is Stephen King's son. You're not uh, supposed to say that. <laughs> I know you're not supposed to, but uh, um, but a, a, fake, a fake last name, a pen name, cannot disguise the fact that he is very much his father's son. Yeah. I, haven't read, I haven't read the book, but this thing had pretty much every element of like what made 80s Stephen King novels lovable in it. I don't think that's a good thing necessarily. Um it's a mess. Like I don't even know how to I don't even know how to talk about this movie like Chris said at the outset. It's just like every kind of teen supernatural horror idea slash mystery plot wrapped up into one well, look, two on hour its- turd. <laughs> On its face, it's a it's a simple enough premise. Okay. We got Daniel Daniel Radcliffe uh, from of Harry Potter fame, not to be confused with Robert Pat Robert, Robert Pattinson of Vampire fame. Edward the Vampire, not him. Daniel Radcliffe plays Iggy or Ignacio or whatever. We but we were commonly referred to as Ig. Ig. Okay. Iggy has a problem. His girlfriend's dead, and everyone in town blames him for the murder. Yep. He's, you know, been on a bender since she died. He wakes up one day. He's growing demon horns out of his fucking forehead. He quickly exhausts his 
the obvious solutions to getting rid of his horns and then he realizes that everyone he interacts with uh he's exerting some sort of devilish power over them where they have to tell him the truth and they're confessing their darkest desires and they're obeying his commands and so he uh sets off to find as oj would say the real killers (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's almost perfect the only relevant detail that you left out is that this all happened seemingly as a result of him smashing and then pissing on a statue of the virgin mary at the site of his girlfriend's killing oh yeah my my minor detail and then then you have a which still does not really explain the horns or or the seemingly like indeterminate number of powers that he takes on from having the horns. Oh no! I mean, <laughs> frankly, none of that stuff is ever explained. And you know what? I mean, uh, I think we could gripe about that, but I actually like it. I think if we got into the whole bullshit where you know you have fucking Lee Winnell show up to explain why you know why are we picking on Lee Winnell? Isn't Lee Winnell the one who plays the ghost hunter in Conjuring? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you say um um though um oh god. What's his name? Uh, who the, the guy who played Kingpin in the Daredevil series. Why Vincent D'Onofrio? Oh, yeah, because he played that role in The Sinister. Oh, he was like the, the yeah. no, professor. He was the no, that was Fred Thompson. Fred Thompson was the cop. Presidential candidate, now dead. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio was the cop. Vincent D'Onofrio, I'll bet you $400 <laughs> right now, you guys. was the <laughs> professor who called in on Zoom at the end of that movie and said, let me tell you about Mr. Boogie. All right, getting back on track. I, all right, all right, all right. We had Lee Winnell or maybe Vincent D'Onofrio show up to explain to us that this is all a result of the curse of Beelzebub, blah, blah, blah. We'd probably go it'd be one of those movies where we'd go, why are they explaining all this to us? Well, I, I actually prefer that this is completely bizarre and goes literally entirely unexplained why this happens. If it had been explained, this movie would have been maybe 15 to 20 minutes longer and I wouldn't support that. But it is very Stephen King. I mean, why is Christine evil? Haven't read the book. Maybe it goes into more detail, but this is also an adaptation of the book. And uh, yeah, it's, it's Cujo. He gets bit by a bat and suddenly, yeah, he's rabid but he's also like he has like superpowers. We don't need it to be explained. I I kind of like horror that just accepts uh, demands that you accept an absurd premise and then focuses instead on the characters primarily. It's fine. It, I mean, it works thematically because he's been demonized by his whole community yeah. basically, and he's even kind of uh, doubting himself a little bit. And then hey, what do you know? He turns into a demon. Um, but you mentioned the supporting uh, the the characters. We have a cast of supporting characters that, in a very Stephen King flashbacks, we see these little people romping around as, as like twelve year olds. <laughs> Um, in in the whole thing set in the Pacific Northwest, which is one of the reasons I mentioned Days Gone because I I really enjoy this setting. Um, I really I want to move to the Pacific Northwest, but it's too expensive. Um, Wait, is it Pacific Northwest or is it is it uh, Northeast? I don't no, remember them actually mentioning where it is. They Nothing. they explicitly mention Seattle and okay, Tacoma, okay. and uh, yeah, take, some scenes take place in the rainforest and stuff. Oh, that explains um, those green room vibes I got. Yeah. Oh, There's yeah. A lot but, of flashbacks in this. A lot of flashbacks. So you know, you, the the dead girlfriend is uh, met our hero in as a child. You also have our hero's brother Terry. You have. Uh, uh, who's, a, his, who's apparently a famous musician 
his other friend and now his public defender Lee, uh, who they all go back to child uh, to childhood, and you get some of that, you know, kind of character building stuff in these very Stephen King Stand by Me flashbacks. Oh yeah, you got you got kids in underwear. You got kids saying the f word. You got kids lighting off cherry bombs. It's like you got kids giving each other HJs. <laughs> yeah, kids almost killing each other through dares and then rescuing each other. Yeah, but being scarred for life nonetheless. You got you got kids signaling each other with Morse code using the reflections off their Jesus <laughs> Christ cross necklace to crucifix uh, to come in to come onto them while they're in church basically i, I want to believe in the, in the dad who's like stop looking at her legs nudge nudge go get her <laughs> <laughs> i i want to believe that joe hill like wrote a first draft of this book and I, I don't think any of us have read the book so who knows what's even in the book but he wrote the first draft and then he gave it to his dad and his dad was like you did a pretty good job fleshing out these characters i want to see them as 12 year olds <laughs> <laughs> no i th- i think i think steve Stephen King might have said, you know, it's pretty good. You, you kind of nailed, you know, that kind of freedom of, of childhood. It needs to be hornier, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess I should mention that the reason that I asked you both if you're horny at the beginning of the episode is that's the first line of the movie. Are you horny? I think is the specific wording, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he says it in, a, in an Austin Powers voice. <laughs> Are you horny, baby? <laughs> Title card. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it really is a series of sort of increasingly absurd events as the movie goes along because Ig realizes more and more the... The, the, the depth of his powers, the scope of his powers. And he just, it turns out that he can do more and more insane things yeah. as the movie goes along. And it's just sort of this escalating series of events interspersed with sort of maudlin flashbacks. And I feel like I've spent a lot of time dunking on this movie. I still, I'm, I'm not sure if I liked it, but I guess I admired it. It was, it was just fucking weird. And it consistently surprised me i'm with you um i mean i'll take a harder stance on it because i know how i feel about this movie for sure yeah it is really weird it's one of those movies where like the big question for me at the end was well who the fuck is this for even i don't understand that but it felt very much to me like a lot of that weirdness and uh the uh, strange tonal shifts in it came from the fact that this was adapted from I don't know how many pages are in the book, but I'm guessing it's like three, 400 pages. And it feels like a lot condensed into a two hour movie where it just has to keep running at a certain clip to get through the story that it felt very much to me like a Stephen King plot where he just kind of makes it up as he goes along and doesn't know what the ending is, doesn't have an outline before he goes into it. I kind of want to read the book because I feel like the screenwriters probably do a lot of credit for being able to fit as much into this as he did so much as i just cut it some slack a minute ago this is an interesting anecdote i actually requested the book from the library because i was kind of thinking about trying to read it before this episode it came in way too late i picked it up today after i had already seen the movie and i was just like no i just tossed it back (laughs) (laughs) maybe extremely unfair because i mean i think there's a lot to what you're saying Stephen. that it does feel like it's been 
the, the story has been compacted into this two hour frame that somehow seems too long. And also just like everything is smooshed in there way too much, mm-hmm. but I don't know, the, despite the fact that I did have a weird admiration for the movie, I was just like, I, I, I don't want to spend any more time with this story. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would like to read the book. I mean, I've read some Joe Hill stuff, only short fiction and it's really good. I mean, he's, he's a good writer. He's got a lot of solid ideas. Um, and he, he doesn't feel like a clone of his father in any of that stuff, but I'll, I'll wait a couple of years at least if I ever read that book. Well, you talk about not wanting to spend any more time with the story. I, I, I think the substance and the story of the movie is not great, but the style of the movie kind of pulled me in. It moves at a real good clip. Uh, like you said, there's, there's tonal, uh, changes, but I mm-hmm. I really kind of enjoyed it. Um, I don't know. Maybe my brain is just broken. Maybe I played too much Days Gone. But you know, I've seen. I saw some critics who who maligned this movie for being you know tonally confused or something. I didn't really think it seemed confused. It just seemed like they were just going uh, balls to the wall um, on a whole bunch of different levels and. I, I kind of liked it. I liked the pop music soundtracks. I, I liked, you know, uh, Daniel Radcliffe just driving around in his gremlin blasting cigs. It's like... <laughs> just this, doing like, this. I, I don't even know if this is a horror movie as much as like a, you know, it's like a, a, a gothic fantasy noir adventure movie or something. Well, if so, you're going to add all that, all those hyphenists, like there's absolutely some horror in here, though. Like there is yeah. some horrifying shit. There's there's like two or three solid horror scenes, um, and but it, it reminded me most of a film noir. Yes, I think I stopped short of texting this to Patrick last night, but it, especially as far as the plot goes, uh, this is going to sound like a grand compliment, and it's not. It's got a very kind of Raymond Chandler plot, where like it, it ju- at least as far as the mystery goes, where like you're never really supposed to fully understand what's going on until the character does, if he ever does, which we'll get to in the spoiler room. And I, I wanted a joke that I kind of wish that, that uh, David Robert Mitchell had made this instead oh of uh, instead of Under the Silver Lake. I thought um, I am too. Actually, the reason I thought of him is because like, who directed this movie? This is our new American master. <laughs> no, it, it, he's direct, actually he's directed some other other interesting things. Alexandra uh, Aja. He's French. He's our new French master. He's like a he's like one of those horror golden boys who's only made one movie that's considered kind of good. Piranha 3D? I think it was 3 double D. Was it 3D? Uh, Crawl. He made Crawl, which I really want to see. But like everything else he's done, including High Tension, the movie that put him on the map, they've all been kind of like middling at best and very controversial usually. I mean, as far as the tonal confusion, I I guess uh, I do see it. I think the main place that that complaint comes from, at least for me, is that you have really goofy broad comedy in this like really sort of yeah just silly uses of Ig's demonic powers but you know we didn't we didn't mention this but his girlfriend was not just murdered but raped and murdered and that rape and murder is shown in Mm -hmm. more detail than I really wanted to see and that to me was the main thing where I was just like, I was just watching a scene about like 
the doctor who was supposed to saw Ig's horns off, huffing laughing gas and fucking his nurse and Ig waking up to this happening and that being like a funny scene in the same movie as I see this this rape and murder scene. And that was that was the main really jarring note for me. It's like half a Wayans Brothers movie. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and that really bothered me. I mean, it was entertaining, and there were a couple of moments that did get laughs out of me. There were some jokes that felt very much like an early Wayans Brothers movie where, like, you can't say that in a movie now. Um, yeah. I don't know if we'll get to that or not. Oh, um, I'm, sh- I'm sure we will. But, but yeah, it's it's all very light, and then Patrick's right. It, it, and it deals with subjects that... I'm not saying that you can't like that you have to have rape and murder be portrayed like with a, you know very in a very dark mood in every movie but Daniel Radcliffe's performance is so good and yeah. he's so disturbed by what happened to his girlfriend <laughs> that it's it's really weird to have him in these like really lowbrow comedy beats and then go back to being the 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 sullen Raymond Chandler character that he is in most of the movie. I I love Daniel Radcliffe is amazing just generally as a person as an actor he's fucking fantastic in this and I will say even as jarring as the comedy in this is I was really moved by just his uh, his his grief and his brokenness about his girlfriend and his desire to find justice. Um, I felt, I mean, I've been going through some stuff lately, so I was a little bit raw watching this. But there were a couple of times where I was like almost moved to tears by a couple of scenes. And yeah, then, me too. Yeah, the Daniel Radcliffe and, and then Robert Pattinson have been pretty good at, at playing against type. They don't want to end up like Napoleon Dynamite, so <laughs> they um. <laughs> You know, this has some overlap thematically with the sort of magical fantasy stuff, but it's 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 very different from from Harry Potter. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was sold on the basis of Daniel Radcliffe, which is you know Harry Potter is the selling point more than anything else. There, I mean, this was I, not his first role coming off the the Harry Potter series, but certainly one of those ones where it was like, hey. I'm not Harry Potter anymore. I'm going to yeah. be the guy who tries to find his girlfriend's rapist and murderer while he has a pair of devil horns. Well, let's talk about Daniel Radcliffe for a second. I was kind of doing a deep dive into thinking about what did he do post Harry Potter? Um, the first he thing did I the could stage find... play where he got naked and fucked the horse. Yes, he did Equus. That was yep. a huge deal. Um, but he also like right after one of the Harry Potter movies, I don't know if it was the last in the franchise or not, he was on uh, Ricky Gervais's Extras, where he played himself as, like, this impossibly horny wannabe Lothario who's never had sex before. (laughs) And I just, I love that. He was like, fuck it, I'm free of this franchise, I'm free of the shackles, I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want, I'm gonna explore, I'm not gonna be afraid to make myself look like an ass, I'm not gonna be afraid to fail. What a saint. So much brilliant casting against the, the against the type that you expect of every guest star who's on that show. I really need to rewatch Extras. That's a brilliant show. Yeah. Back before Ricky Gervais turned into a fucking animal rights activist. Oh, no, now now he has now he has one joke, right? And it's like, are you triggered? <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, so but what else? Oh, yeah, let's talk about the the racial slur. There's a joke where he prompts some woman to talk about how she wants to have sex with her 
golf pro, which I don't even know what that stands for. I don't, I don't know. I didn't get that. <laughs> golf professional. It's like, is he your golf teacher? Maybe a yeah. golf instructor. Yeah. But anyways, the golf pro is black and she refers to him by a very antiquated racial slur that starts with a J that I was rather startled to hear in this. And I'm not quite sure why they chose that term other than that they wanted to sort of shockingly and dramatically show that the character was a racist without using the N word. That was very strange. And it made it worse. It made it a lot weirder. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot weirder. Like I kind of wish she had said the N word. Honestly, I would have been less, less, uh, triggered as ricky gervais would say <laughs> uh yeah i mean if we're gonna get into the politics of it uh i, I thought oh, when do oh, we not <laughs> i thought that a lot of these you know uh devilish fantasies that people confessed were in poor taste i mean you basically uh women are all just want to like bang people and yeah and, um th- there's the troubling thing where the the cops being gay and closeted is a punchline which it was seemed very anachronistic i gotta say i wanted i was expecting it to go there i ended up feeling like it was actually a beautiful moment for those two cops agreed yeah yeah, it did not end on it being a punchline. Daniel Radcliffe kind of walks off like, uh, huh, I'm glad they got to have their moment finally. At the end, there, there's, the, there's the throwaway line where Daniel Radcliffe is like, oh, it's 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 all right, you know, love is love or whatever, and walks away. <laughs> but it's 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 Wayans brother shit and until you get to that point there's three scenes where it's just like, ha, these cops want to suck each other's dick. It's a little bit... Uh, it didn't make me feel this way. But I thought it was going to go there. It almost felt like it was going toward the Shaq scene in Hubie Halloween, where like the joke is like, <laughs> "Oh, he's got a woman's voice," and then like his female counterpart has a male's voice, and it's like this just totally like borderline transphobic. It never went there for me. I felt like that was actually kind of a sweet, touching scene. And but maybe that's by contrast because of how sexist this entire film is. Well, yeah, it felt to me like the joke was more on uh, the sort of rural you get the idea that this is kind of a conservative town that they all live in that these two cops can't just express that to each other and and that final scene where he you know basically commands them to act upon their their sexual fantasies towards each other felt very much like a win-win to me it was very much like you know it gets the cops off his back he gets what he wants and the cops finally get what they've both been wanting for a long time I, I actually All thought right. that I thought that played surprisingly well, actually. All right, agree to disagree, but I, I'm glad you had the experience with it. I wanted to talk um, about the soundtrack to this movie. I don't know if any of y'all have thoughts about this. So Daniel, do. Daniel Radcliffe's character is a DJ only so we can have presumably sick ass music in this movie. <laughs> and I say presumably because it makes just some really like there's not a song in this movie I don't like, but they all feel like very broad and obvious choices. Like we begin with him listening to David Bowie's song Heroes. Wait, what song? <laughs> and it's just like like we've never heard that in a movie or a commercial before it's supposed to be like so emotionally significant um it just it, oh you're it, a david bowie fan too you know what i will say though about this i always get annoyed in movies when they drop the needle on a record and like the hit from the record 
is in the movie the first song on the record and they actually dropped the needle at the right spot which i thought was impressive <laughs> um but yeah we get that we get marilyn manson's uh his version of personal jesus we get i i have it up here you know one of the tr- one of the tracks i did like that didn't feel too obvious to me was uh the dead weather's 50 feet tall which i was super into that band back in the day and hadn't heard them in a while and was honestly excited to hear that song again and thought they used it really well at a kind of crucial juncture in the in the movie that we'll probably get into a little more in the spoiler room but we I mean, get guys, we get we get pixies. Where is my mind? Oh which yeah, like, that that was one that stuck out with a sore thumb. That's like all, that's like using stuck in the mill with you in a movie. You yes, can't do it anymore. It's you retired. Can't do it anymore. The jerseys in the rafters on where is my mind? And I'm sorry, like this guy. And I I only dwelled on this because his character is a disgraced DJ, and it seems important that he's very into music, and he has seemingly thousands of records in his house. And, like, that's his personal soundtrack? Really? He's and playing the be. IMDb Top 250. <laughs> it could be, you know, when you go through a breakup, you kind of remember, you're going through the highlights, you kind of remember the sappier songs sometimes initially that that you fell, in, you fell in love with with the other person. You know, it's like that, that kind of go-to comfort playlist, but it did not work for me in this movie. Look, guys, I don't care. You know what? I'm watching a movie. They want to play some sweet tunes when he's driving around in his gremlin, blasting cigs. I'm cool with it. I'm not precious about it. I have seen some shit. I have seen Night Owl bang a woman to Blended Collins. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> like, I think we've we've all seen that. Probably multiple times. Yeah, sadly, multiple times. Do you guys have anything else... Any big threads you want to talk about before we get into spoilers, I guess, is the real question. Because we've, Chris, like, very, like, efficiently set up everything that we can talk about without getting into that at at the outset. So I want to talk about the setting uh, because of the setting of this movie, because I I really enjoyed it. And I don't know, the the whole, you know, Pacific Northwest, maybe it's because I grew up on the X-Files, but it all has a has a special place in my heart. Uh, I like seeing those trees. I like seeing that fog. I like that color palette that you get in the Pacific Northwest. And not only do I like the geographic setting, but I like how all of our characters adventures take them to like. Like I felt like I was just on the indie scene of like Washington State. I'm going totally. to these like dive bars and like music clubs and like artist houses and stuff, tree houses in the woods. Um, I I just like the aesthetic and everyone was dressed nicely. The wardrobe was great. I want to wear all those outfits. I want to move to the north to the Pacific Northwest and live like Daniel Radcliffe. There is kind of a, a like a virtual vacation element to this movie that I totally felt as well. Just everybody's wearing warm colors. All the colors outside are kind of, you know, you get your, your blues and your greens that you only seem to be able to get in that part of the country. That diner, oh my god. Yeah. They, they go to a diner that's like one of those diners in America that gets like 10% of its annual revenue on, on food and 90% on, on movie licensing. Oh, it's so Twin Peaks. And I felt that way about a couple of the settings in this. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, you know, I like that Pacific Northwest setting too. also a place that I've, you know, kind of always wanted to move. Um, I don't know, there's something about a lot of things in this movie that feels faintly artificial to me. The, you know, the dive bar to me doesn't feel real. It feels like a Hollywood conception of what, you know, a redneck sort of dive bar looks like and and the diner too felt very i mean it was fine but like twin peaks that's 150 percent tweedy's cafe 
which I've been to in real life from tweet from Twin Peaks. And I don't know, I, to circle back around to Radcliffe's performance even, and I know I'm, you know, obviously in the minority on this, his performance is pretty well received. He seems like a great guy. I don't know. It also just, and it's hard for me to put my finger on, there's just a lot about this movie that feels just like not quite real. Like it's trying so hard to approximate reality, but it just wasn't buying this guy as, well, a DJ for one. I, I was like, uh, well, we can throw that out the window. I mean, <laughs> like, there's nothing else in the movie aside from the soundtrack to support that. But yeah, there is an element of surreality to this movie for sure. It's very, um, you know, the same way that that uh, Joe Hill's father. I know we're not supposed to talk about that, uh, but <laughs> but the same way that he kind of mythologizes Maine and and certain parts of Maine and like it heightens them to kind of a almost pseudo dreamlike quality. I felt like I felt like I knew where I was. Like I like the the setting was very evocative, and yet it did have this kind of movie magic mystery quality about it as well. I thought those two things coexisted well together in this. There wasn't a single misstep with the cinematography. Everything looks great. Till maybe maybe the very last couple scenes. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, should we get into that? Should we go on down to that, uh, or maybe climb up the ladder to the treehouse spoiler? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm ready to go. All right, Chris. Hit us. All right. Um, this is this is really hard for me. I'm going to give it a cue it. It's almost a very low view it for me, but it's a cue it. Um, I just I just can't quite recommend other people really watch this movie. Um, some of it is because of my unease with just kind of how uh, dumb and lazy and kind of offensive some of the like devil confessions were to me, um, and the ending didn't quite hit me very well especially thematically uh but it's a ton of fun i enjoyed this movie pretty much from start to finish like i said i just i love the setting i love the performance daniel radcliffe give the man an oscar for this shit um <laughs> whoa <laughs> I, you okay. know just you, there's way worse ways to spend your time than driving around the pacific northwest for two hours with daniel radcliffe drinking smoking uh scaring people going to bars, listening to jazz, hanging out in your little like foggy parents house in the forest with James Remar, who, who has like a fucking professional trumpeter. It's a great film. Cue it. <laughs> Wait, listening to jazz. There's no, they go to a jazz club. When I thought brother is a trumpeter. There's, there's a jazz tune in the movie. I thought oh, I was there? watching La La Land for a minute. I, yeah. I, I I looked at my drink. I looked up. I'm like, did I did I sit on something? Is this La La Land? There is a big, beautiful jazz boy in this movie. He's yeah. a beautiful jazz boy who is in a ska band, which I thought was hilarious. Jazz. The it's one song jazz he plays the in ass. the club is, yeah, it's jazz out the ass. They, they, go, they, go, they, they have a fight in the parking lot, and there's a neon sign that says, like, jazz, jazz. Well, but <laughs> I mean, even, even the one song he plays, which actually he, he plays the trumpet credibly well, sure. along with the notes, uh, it's, it's jazz. Oh, no, in that jazz club, that is a fucking ska song, and I feel like that was supposed to be a joke. It's no. like this shitty no. small that was You guys are crazy. Shit. You guys I'm are a, crazy. I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it during the break all right let's hear it um all right steven what would you give this movie 
I'd give it a cue. It was an enjoyable experience. It's a mess, but like, I love Daniel Radcliffe. You know, I love all the kind of wild swings he's taken in his career. I will follow him anywhere. He's a beautiful man and a very talented one at that. But it's, you know, it's a mess. Uh, so much so that like, I half want to read the book and half want to avoid it for the rest of my life. <laughs> because of uh, how much this movie sort of put me through the ringer as far as my, my sympathies go. But it's an, it, it's an enjoyable watch. It's kind of the definition of a cue it again because it's been in my queue, like pretty much since it's been on Netflix. Um, it's got this reputation as kind of a bonkers what-the-fuck movie of a higher caliber than than most in that category and doesn't quite get there for me, but I don't think it's a total waste of time. You certainly won't forget it. Yeah, Patrick? and and oh, let me just interject real quick because yeah. I have no interest in reading the book because, like I said, the story doesn't interest me all that much. Uh, it's it's more the mood and the tone shifts and the unexpected shit that happened in the movie that did it for me. Story was meh. Patrick. Yeah, it's it's a cue it for me as well. As I've said, it's kind of a mess, uh, but an interesting one and a memorable one. And as Steven said, it is that definition of acute. I've been fascinated by this since I saw set photos of it when they were making it. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting thing for Radcliffe to do next. I've been curious to see it for years. I don't regret having watched it, but boy, is it weird. And not always in a successful or a good way, but there are enough memorably bizarre moments that I guess I can recommend it. Well, that wraps up our spoiler-free discussion of Horns. If you would like to get into the spoiler-filled discussion, stick with us. We're going up to the Treehouse spoiler room to spoil everything. And regardless of your decisions on that matter... Go check us out online. We're at everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. You can uh, find all our episodes there and the master list of all our ratings so you can see the uh, sometimes ludicrous ratings that we've given to certain movies. Uh, check us out on social media. We're at amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast, on all your social platforms. And uh, rate us, review us, subscribe to us on your podcast provider of choice. We love to see that feedback. It's really gratifying for us. We need that. And also it helps people find the show. So, gentlemen, are you ready to head to the spoiler room for horns? Absolutely. Climbing up to that treehouse as we speak. Let's go to that treehouse of horror. Smoking a cig already. Let's go to that treehouse of horror. We'll be right back. We have climbed that rickety old ladder to the spoiler treehouse. And first things first, we just got to get this out of the way. Stephen was absolutely right. The song in the quote unquote jazz club is definitely ska. It is not jazz out the ass. Patrick and Chris blown the fuck out. Fuck you I'm guys. Not, I'm not on the scene enough to know what ska is, I guess. I'm just a poser. <laughs> well, I so like I... I didn't notice, and I don't think we're actually shown the exterior of that club until afterward. And when I saw they like he uh, Daniel Radcliffe has the confrontation with his brother outside, and you see uh, like the you know the 
jazz in like cursive letters or whatever the fuck outside neon lights. I was like, wait, what? That was not jazz. And it was kind of funny to me because that's the kind of like I can totally imagine. I feel like Monroe has some version of this, uh, like uh, or had at some point, like a kind of like pseudo classy club where they play classy music, and then you go inside and it's just like a fucking dog shit cover band. <laughs> and then later, later, and I wrote this in my notes. Later, we see the brother in a very horrific scene in his house as Daniel Radcliffe confronts him and he has all these like gold and platinum records behind him on the wall and I'm like since when in 2010 do you make sell a gold record playing ska like a mu- <laughs> isn't that the dad I, I think it's in his parents house yeah, yeah I think the dad is supposed to be like a record producer oh is he a producer oh yeah. oh I think you might be right the brother's like kind of down and out and he's still living there but that was a part that was a part of the movie that I felt like you know when I was talking about how it felt like it was adapt clearly adapted from a longer novel where the the relationships are more fleshed out I was like I feel like there's like a more complicated darker story with the brother that we don't get to fully explore in the way that I would like and the movie's like kind of almost making like an inside joke about it and it doesn't quite work because of the lack of context yeah well you know i think most notably the relationship that needs to be fleshed out in this movie is that with between uh iggy and his deceased girlfriend uh who pretty much only exists as a macguffin in this movie oh yeah oh this is a movie about like a white a white boy's guilt and a white boy's pain which like if you want my sympathy don't go there uh i mean it worked well enough for what it was but it's also kind of absurd and juvenile at the very end of it when we finally sort of figure out what this all means it's like really that that's what i was supposed to have come here for well i don't think it's absurd and juvenile that uh the person someone loved was raped and murdered not the not the rape and murder but I guess more of the cancer of it all is what kind of made me kind of chuckle. Oh out. my God. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. All of that. Well, look, I, is- I didn't quite laugh, but I was definitely, my jaw was just agape. So, I mean, all right, let's set this up. There's a lot so, to set up here. There's this a the lot. To this it. is a ball of yarn. There's, <laughs> there's twists upon twists. So we find out via flashback that, uh, what's her name? Marin, which is another sort of hilarious name in this movie, along with uh, Glenna. Usually Marin's your father's name, not your girlfriend's name. <laughs> we find out that uh, Marin, shortly before her disappearance, had invited Ig to the Twin Peaks diner and told him she wants to move to L.A. She feels like they uh, you know, really need to try seeing other people because they've only ever been with each other, their childhood sweethearts. And he is, of course, extremely upset about this, throws up hissy fit at her in the diner which is why everybody assumes that he killed her. <laughs> well the reason the reason you're mentioning cancer is because we find out late 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 in the movie after three or four other twists that the huge reveal is that she was actually still in love with him wasn't seeing anybody else but dumped him because she had terminal cancer and didn't want him to chain himself to her as she wasted away etc which was verging on an LOL moment for me. Oh, that's the that that worked for me. Really? After They've all known the... each other since childhood. Why would she not tell him the fucking truth? What an absurd soap opera 
melodramatic she wants him to twist. be happy. Wants she wants him to be happy. happy. She she means well, but she makes I think the wrong move and the movie doesn't treat it that way. The movie treats it as like she's a fucking she's a she's like a legitimate martyr and she did the right thing and like this is how it was all supposed to be and it ends on like a very seemingly happy note which you know we'll get to in more detail but it's like if she hadn't done that he would never have been turned into a fucking demon and none of this havoc would have been wreaked <laughs> in the first place yeah and i mean even in any normal circumstances like he's only going to be upset by her all of a sudden ditching him and then he's going to be more upset when she dies unexpectedly like this is not going to be a happy ending for him in any case like just tell him you have cancer it's to me that was ludicrous it is ludicrous because her, I think her legitimate plan, which is obviously waylaid in a number of really horrific, upsetting, awful ways, I think she really did plan to, like, move away to die, like, somewhere yeah. else, which, uh, yeah, I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't so, know what the grimmer outcome of this is. We, we get a whole comedy of errors here where, often told through flashback, where basically... Yeah. <laughs> It's it's and it's told in such a nonlinear fashion that it's that it's hard to even uh, explain. But before she went to the diner to drop that bad news, she met with Lee, who's the friend from childhood, who is now Iggy's public defender. Yeah. Uh, who, of course, you know, wears prosthetic fingers because his hand got blown off in a cherry bomb accident because our hero traded a cherry bomb for the necklace he used to talk to the Mar- uh, Marin for the first time. It's yeah. a whole thing. It's a it's whole ass so thing. so convoluted, and you just described it so well. That was amazing. <laughs> Side note, I just thought of this. I think, if I remember correctly, Lee's middle and pinky fingers have been blown off. Is that right? I don't know. I think you're right. Yeah, that looks right to me. If so, huge missed opportunity to not blow off the ring and middle fingers so that he's got horns. Devil horns. Why did they not do that? They might have, to be honest. I would have to. They do a good job. I was trying to look at his hand the whole movie, but he hides it in his pocket a lot. It's kind of hard to get a good look at it. Given the sense of humor in most of this movie, I'm surprised he's not left with the shocker. I, I'm surprised that it was just kind of never became a thing again. Um, but whatever. Anyway. Did you guys... Wait, what, let me ask this question. Did you notice the first time Lee appeared as his public defender that he was missing fingers? Because I didn't. No. no. Well, yeah, because he's got know. prosthetic fingers, so it's kind of hard to even really notice. It's but never... when you see them later in the movie, there's a point where it's like kind of obvious that he does. Anyway, I just a, a stray thought about this. And I really liked Lee, though. I mean, you know how I feel about public defenders, and I like the actor. Uh, he was given a good, like... Uh, uh, like a young Mark Ruffalo meets uh, James Franco, <laughs> or yeah, Dave, Dave, yeah. sort of sort of thing. I, um, I, I'll, I'll meet you at Dave Franco. <laughs> well, it's Max Minghella, who I don't know what I know him from. Me neither. That name is so familiar. His face is so familiar. Like, in anyway, I have nowhere to go with that except that I was kind of, <laughs> kind of perplexed that it's such a familiar name and face, and I can't place it to anything else. So, so here's what Marin does: before right. she goes to the diner to tell our hero that she's leaving them, she tells the plan to Lee. Lee interprets it incorrectly as her indicating that she wants to run off with him because he's had a crush on her since childhood. Uh, So they break up in the restaurant. Uh, Terry, the brother, happens to be there. So 
he ends up giving Marin a ride away from the diner off into the forest, at which point Marin says, nah, stop the car. I'll find my own way from here. She goes to the treehouse area uh, where she ends up encountering Lee. Now, Lee is there. Why? Because he followed them? It's, I don't it's know. unclear. It's unclear. I, actually, I rewatched that scene right before we recorded, and it's still very unclear to me. That's just bad filmmaking. <laughs> but Lee... Um, comes on to her and thinks that this is it. Now she's dumped Ig, so they're going to have a romance together. It's a huge misunderstanding on his part. He basically, he rapes her. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, and bashes her brains in with a and, rock. And bashes her brains in with a rock, puts the rock in Terry's car, which is still parked on the street. So he wakes up because he's on drugs. He wakes up and like he doesn't know if he killed her or not. <laughs> but whatever, he he destroys the evidence. There's subplots and subplots on subplots here that don't really even matter. Well, speaking of Terry being on drugs, there's a scene in this movie that I think is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in a movie in in which Daniel Radcliffe, to get the truth out of his brother, forces him to have an overdose. The drugs that he takes, he literally takes everything. Every drug you can possibly imagine. He even he takes, takes mushrooms everything. at some point. Yeah. Like he, he eats like weed nugs, he eats a bunch of coke, he eats pills. Yeah. Yeah, it just completely obliterates himself. It's amazing he doesn't die. I mean, that's when we know we're fully living in a cartoon. Uh, if we if that hadn't been clear sooner, um, but he goes on is, a hell of a is, trip. And this is set to the Dead Weather song that I was talking about before. But yeah, it is. Whew, that's a scene. I watched it a couple of different times. I don't really know why. Let me let me make a connection here, just because I love to talk about Millennium. The the the. <laughs> The visuals weren't nearly as good on Millennium, but this reminds me of a, a great story about the se- second season finale of Millennium. Basically, the producers of Millennium were very mad at Fox because they didn't feel that Fox was giving them enough advertising time on the network to promote Millennium. So. Okay. To get back at them, they said, you know what? We are going to kill, we are going to waste as much airtime as we can in like the last episode of the second season, where you have one of the leading characters, uh, played by Kristen Cloak, who was the teacher in the first Final Destination and is married to Glenn Morgan. Who, That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, she basically, I, th- I don't know if it's drugs or what, but she loses her fucking mind and she's just rolling around in a motel room for like eight minutes listening to patty smith's horses there's static that flashes on the screen um anyway that's basically what we get here this guy loses his mind wait is she uh, i have to ask for a point of clarification is she listening to the song horses or the album horses (laughs) just the song (laughs) okay okay not a song i'd want to listen to while tripping that sounds amazing i you know it takes like five times for somebody to wreck recommend a tv show to me before i finally check it out i think chris i'm finally gonna watch millennium oh i love to hear it i got the dvds don't watch the whole series i'll make you a list make me a list send it to me please <laughs> why don't you have the blue chris it doesn't it's not blue, blue. it's like the just, abyss and true lies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so- um, but yeah great sequence great sequence where he's getting high very scary kind of too that's one of the horror sequences well it's scary and it's also like I struggled with Daniel Radcliffe's Iggs motivation there. I mean, that is a really fucked up thing to do. Like, even if you think this guy actually raped and killed your girlfriend, like to do that, like there wasn't really that much animosity between them before that 
seemingly justify him going to such extreme ends to torture him. Well, his motives are unclear because it seems like maybe he knows that he didn't, he wasn't really responsible for it. I think it's implied that he does it to get him to clean up, like scared straight. Oh, I did not get that impression. I think you're, I think you're actually right, Chris. I think that's what that scene was intended to symbolize but it didn't really achieve that for me it's like oh that's the other thing we need to talk about the the gratuitous voiceover in this movie which i think exists to kind of keep it probably closer to the book and also it helps with sort of the like film noir sort of thing where you know we got yeah the, protagonist doing that but it adds nothing to the movie you have you literally have scenes where like he takes a cross necklace from a character and the character's like this will protect you now and then it's like the voiceover is like i knew the cross necklace would protect me now but i still had things to do or something like that like, oh the voiceover <laughs> even lingers into when ig finally finds the letter in the treehouse which like i can't believe we've seen him in that treehouse multiple times after the murder i can't believe he didn't just like bust the lock you know with his foot kick it off the rotten busted everything else in that fucking forest yeah yeah but like we even get like voiceover of him reading the letter before we transition to her like afterlife voiceover reading the morse code letter (laughs) i laughed at that actually the letters in morse code i wish that when we he started reading it we heard her voice just saying dot dot dash 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 (laughs) dot 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 with with subtitles of what she's actually saying (laughs) i mean we have not acknowledged in all of this that at some point in the movie ig realizes he can control snakes and just starts walking mm. around with like a fucking python draped around his shoulders. Like sometimes he actually uses the snakes to do things for him, but other times there's just snakes draped over him. And, and honestly, and it's amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's you know, fucking it's, awesome. I I feel about that the way that uh, Stephen did about Jay when we reviewed 1920 London. Like I don't want anyone to make any mistake about the snakes. The snakes are amazing. Yeah. The stakes were incredible. I mean, there's some really rough CGI, but this came out quite some time ago. But like it, it even still, it worked for me. I was like, I, what a great interjection late in this movie when the snakes start to come. I wish there were more. My only complaint is I wish there were more critters and creatures drawn to him. Like I wish there was like an army of like tarantulas and rats and a you know, raven, cockroaches. A bat. Yeah. <laughs> They had to cut something. But, like, when we're explaining these spoilers, we can't, I cannot stress enough how how convoluted the storytelling is. I mean, it makes sense, yeah. but like some of this stuff is told, some of the stuff is discovered. Some of this is, is exposition that's explained. Some of this stuff is Rob. Um, I want to say Robert Pattinson. Um, <laughs> Edward, Iggy, Ed, Edward Pattinson has a, has, he basically gets the dead zone power where he touches you yes. and he sees everything that you saw. <laughs> yeah. I thought of the dead zone multiple times in this. I want to go back for a moment to the, um, the real J of this movie, the racist character. Um, there's a moment where he, where he sees that woman's fate. Like if she were to get what she really wants and it's really upsetting because she's just getting fucking drilled constantly by her golf pro, but she's she's having a great time. Yeah. She's having a great time, 
But what she doesn't realize is that she loses, she leaves her husband, but she gets stuck with the custody of the kids, and the kids are crying in the background. Oh, I didn't notice that. That was like really, but it was like horrifying. Yeah, appropriately so that like it's like a monkey's paw thing, but at the same time. We never see anything else like that in this movie. Like, that was an avenue left unexplored with mm-hmm. these dead zone powers he has, which is like, why give him dead zone powers <laughs> if you're going to show us that once and then never deliver on it well, again? Well, he uses it. I mean, in those early scenes, uh, the comedic scenes, he's kind of discovering his powers. And it's funny the same way a character discovering his powers in like a Spider Man movie is funny, where he's like, oh, God, Web just came out whoops you know that kind of stuff and then later on he's using the powers towards his goal which is solving the mystery of what happened to bay (laughs) can we uh, god again like total non sequitur i guess but like can we talk about the donuts for a second (laughs) i mean that's not even spoilers at all (laughs) it's not it's not it's something we didn't get to but that was another moment in the movie where i was like honestly my first thought was because i did not know anything about where this movie was going, what it was, aside from the basic premise of this guy has horns. I thought, because that's his first encounter when he has horns, so he fucks the waitress of the the bar he frequents, who was also also his childhood friend. Childhood friend. She was kind of the, you know, I mean, unfortunately, uh, the the slut of the group, you know, the only, like, female friend of this group who, like, was like actively interested in sex and it's in the text that she got around with all the friends she got around with all the friends she seemed a bit older than them that's a little creepy but he he fucks her they're drunk he wakes up he's hung over he's got the horns he comes back and she sees the horns he's horrified she doesn't notice them and or doesn't think that it's a horrifying thing and they have this box of donuts that you know, they're supposed to eat as they're hungover breakfast. And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with me? She's like, I just want to eat these donuts. Is it okay if I eat all of them? It's this long, like extended sequence. And I thought, is he going to inspire like the seven deadly sins in all of these characters in, in, in each of these characters? Well, she, she specifically asks him if she can have a donut. She breaks it in half, shoves the entire half in her mouth, chews it like twice, mm-hmm. chipmunk cheeks it into one side of her mouth and then shoves the other half in. So she has an entire donut in her mouth. I feel like this is all in one take. I mean, it's impressive, honestly. This is the this is the part where I thought my brain was dying. I started doing Sudoku's. I started drawing clocks. I wanted to know if I was having a stroke. <laughs> I, I mean, it was it was genuinely like sort of unsettling. I didn't. It was surreal. Donut shoved in someone's mouth. It was surreal. And by the end of it, she eats the whole box of donuts. And I was ex- I was legitimately expecting like a prosthetic sequence where she has like comedically large cheeks, like the radiator woman in a racer head. And I thought, Oh, is he, he's like, he's like, he's like Satan now. And everyone he encounters is going to, he's going to encounter like seven different people and each of them represents the seven deadly sins for a moment. I thought that's what this movie was going to be. I'm glad it wasn't, but what a fucking weird sequence. God, God damn me, but I'm going to mention another Fox show um, because the, this movie is it obvious 
Hannity? Oh, no, I love 911 on Fox, though. Um, Lucifer. This movie is has a lot in common with Lucifer, the show of the suave uh, devil himself in Los Angeles who uh, you know is able to seduce people and, and get them to indulge their sins and everything. I watched about half of the first season because it was on after the revival of The X-Files, and uh, I liked what I saw for the most part. So if you're interested, if you like that stuff, go watch Lucifer. I didn't like that stuff. <laughs> so I won't. Don't watch Lucifer. Watch, you should watch 911 on Fox. <laughs> Are they sponsoring the show now? Hope so. So, um, we, so, I mean, to get like slightly back on track, we wind up in a final confrontation with Lee where Lee literally beats Ig with a fucking chain, yeah. throws him in a car, throws him in his gremlin, lights the gremlin on fire. Lee turns the car, I mean, Ig turns the car on, drives it into the water, and then after Lee is gone, like, staggers out of the water, burned as fuck, and says, the thing about me is, I'm fucking hard to kill. Yeah, Which in I was voiceover. hoping that'd be the name yeah. of the movie, Hard to Kill. No, he that says thing. it aloud, Stephen. He speaks it to no one. Oh, my God. Wow. And it's great. Yeah. I watched it twice because I was like, it was, I was kind of like Chris. I thought I was losing my mind. I went back and watched it again and I was like, oh, that really happened. It's a crazy sequence, but also it's like weirdly anticlimactic because his, Ig's powers are so mysterious. He seems to be able to do so many things and not so much others that I couldn't believe that he could just be beaten down with a chain. I thought, like, he's a he's a demon. You can, yeah. You can't keep a demon down. Yeah, because we see him in the, in the scene, like, immediately before, like, trying to get rid of his horns by, like, ramming them into a concrete wall, prying them yeah. off with rebar. It doesn't work. Uh, so then to have him be taken down, completely immobilized, just by a scrawny public defender hitting him with a chain. <laughs> Who, yeah, dragging him by his horn, which is a really hard <laughs> visual for me to, to look at. I, but I Chris, cringe. I was screaming that whole scene and I was screaming because <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know if I should explain why I'm screaming, but oh, you must. <laughs> I'm screaming because like this, this, this guy's performance, Lee, it's, it's a very kind of dry. He's kind of got a low voice. He's, he's kind of keeps his cool. He's very, I, I, I'm going to say flat, not because it's a bad performance. But that's just kind of the guy's affect is kind of flat for the whole movie. Yeah. And our hero is like through the dead zone powers and whatever else is, is realizing the truth that this guy is a monster, that this guy raped and and brutally murdered the love of his life. And as he's, realizing this and confronting him about it. And the guy's like beating him with a chain, just in the most flat affect. He's like, I fucked your tight little pussy. Yeah. Like what? Lee just becomes this kind of, comic supervillain in this film and i don't understand how that like sweet awkward young boy that we saw earlier turns into this like like dc villain it it makes no sense to me i i was not affected by that transformation i did not find him horrifying it's so weird so So this is a funny detail about Lee. I was, uh, Stephen and I were texting about this last night and I don't know, maybe an hour into the movie, I texted Stephen, oh, if Lee is not the murderer, I will Uh be shocked. And then like five minutes later, I was like, oh no, never mind. They're telegraphing this way too hard. I take it back. Turns out Lee's the murderer. Oh yeah. And, and this whole sequence, it's like the, all the epicenter of all the tonal, 
uh, shifting in this movie where you're just smashing the cars together, where you have Daniel Radcliffe acting his fucking heart out, earnestly believing every fucking word he's saying. You have flashbacks of a real, a real like patrick said a disturbing rape scene then you have the the dc comics i'm hitting you with a chain thing mixed with the the flat line delivery of these really like blunt lines which i just found laughable <laughs> wait i'm curious where is the where's the dc comics reference coming from for, for you guys is it mostly just like the the bvs vibes of beating someone with a chain sorry i i know you're i know you're you're uh, defensive when we talk about to comments. me when, when i when i when clive i see dc let's say clive barker <laughs> no when i see no, I, I, I don't i don't disagree i'm just curious like what what prompted that analogy when i say dc supervillain i'm talking about the dc like film universe where the villains are always like like just too cartoonish and like kind of lack any semblance of humanity. That's been my experience with the ones I've seen anyway. Yeah, he's, you're you're, you're talking. Kind of a- I will find him. Yeah, I'm talking. <laughs> I will find him. I'm talking Wonder Woman. Like we're just like <laughs> fucking throwing the tank and that sort of Wonder shit. Woman. Where it just goes over the top. No, that's Wonder Woman's a great analogy because the villain of the first Wonder Woman movie is like just that like dour British man who just mm-hmm. like David, morphs and David motherfucking Thulis. Show some respect. <laughs> Show some respect. Look at his IMDb. He deserves respect for three movies, maybe. Oh but, no, that is complete. David Thewlis is a brilliant actor, and that's I'm, no, I'm he's, honest. I'm honestly offended by that. He's a brilliant actor who is often in terrible movies. He's one of my favorite actors, actually. But the reason Steven's analogy made sense to me is because you have a guy who's a, it's a pretty subtle role and a and a, a very uh, kind of muted performance from this guy who's wearing a, a button up shirt and a tie all movie. He's got his prosthetic fingers, and then he just becomes a two dimensional. I'm going to hit you with a chain and talk about how I raped your girlfriend character. Well, and also if you spend two minutes thinking about it about halfway through the movie, you're like, Oh, he's, he's probably the actual villain. I, you know, there was a significant amount of this movie where I thought somebody we haven't mentioned, cause there are a lot of like that guys in this movie. I thought maybe David Morse, the father was the villain for a minute early on. I thought about that too. I mean, you know, it's one of those movies where, you know, it being, Three very smart people like we are, and that's with a gigantic wink and a nod for anyone who can't tell from the tone of my voice. <laughs> like you're gonna We're actually five stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna naturally like check out every character in the movie and try and get a step ahead of the movie and go, oh, maybe it's the maybe it's the de- maybe it's the mom. Maybe it's the uh, you know, the guy behind the bar who burns his bar down. You know, you gotta check everybody out. You got you know to become the Raymond Chandler of the story yourself. That's something that um, I guess in hindsight, I appreciate about uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which was kind of a mixed bag film, but it's kind of a whodunit, but it's just like random guys. Like imagine if we just found out that the killers was like a random guy in like the third act of the movie. Um, all right, man, we are going way off the fucking rails in this spoiler room. This is one of the wildest no more so rooms. than this but movie. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's extreme. Actually, it befits the movie for for sure. 
But oh yeah, we haven't. I feel like we're done talking, but no, we're not. No, <laughs> this, we this haven't is... even gotten to the point where we it's... haven't even begun. I'm, I'm even Jeff begun. Ginter right now. <laughs> we 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 haven't even gotten to the point Listen, where he has hold a on. confrontation. Hold on, what? Hold on. This this Zoom meeting ends at nine o'clock, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, we'll be done by then. We'll so we haven't even then. gotten to the point where he confronts Lee in the woods with uh what's his name? The cop who is yeah, the, uh, meat the, meathead, the, meat bag, whatever they called him when he was meat dad. bag. Yeah. Meat bag. There's a confrontation between them in the woods. Ig has figured out that Lee is the rapist killer, and uh Ig has put on the, the cross necklace before this and basically renounced his horns. The power of Jesus has flown, flowed through him. He's, he's no Kirk longer Cameron as fuck right now. A demon. He's Kirk Cameron as fuck. <laughs> and so it comes down to the wire. He has to take Lee down. So he dramatically rips off his cross necklace. We're expecting he's going to regrow the horns, right? We're expecting that his demon powers are going to come back. But he not only regrows, or wait, does he regrow the horns immediately after? Well, he the rips first the thing that happens up? is his his he sprouts angel wings. Yes, like oh, he's gonna become an angel. He <laughs> flies up into the fucking sky with angel wings. This was the part where I just like guffawed, and then the angel wings burst into flame and he falls back down from the sky. It's like uh rares of the lost Ark when the guy sees like the angelic woman and then she turns into the skull face. And then he grows giant, like ram horns. He looks like black Phillip or fucking Steppenwolf. And this is perfect for your DC comics. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> comparison. He looks like Steppenwolf in justice league. And he turns into a much more demonic looking figure than he was before. And I, you know what? I, I don't even know what happens from there. He, he, he looks a, like he the guy from the de- at the devil's door. <laughs> Wait, what guy? Deep cut. The devil. Oh, I, I just mixed that up with uh, before the devil knows you're dead. And I was like, oh, you no. mean Philip Seymour Hoffman? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> at the devil's door. He's on fire like Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he Red ends Dragon. up. He's about as high as uh, Ig's brother. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up sending a snake to like crawl through Lee's, down Lee's throat. But at that point, I was just, I was reeling from this whole angel, burning wings, ram horn. It was my mind was blown. It's bananas. I, my brain was broken at, the, at that he, point. And this movie had already broken my brain pretty thoroughly. And that's why I said I was disappointed kind of by the ending uh, thematically, because he's kind of made some transformations. He's kind of turned away from his uh, life of sin. And now he knows what he needs to know. And he, he tells the guys like, you know what? Like, I just want to kill you. But instead, we're going to go out to the woods. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do the right thing, because that's what my girlfriend would have wanted. Perfect. End the movie there. But then, no, he just is like, well, on second thought, and he just kills him with CGI. And that's your movie. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And then he turns to stone, he dies, and he meets Marin in the afterlife, and she asks him if he's horny. <laughs> it sounds like we're joking. But I, I'm, I'm still not sure if the movie was joking or not. <laughs> um, and also, shout out to the secret, because we got, you know, Meatbag the Cop show up, and he, um, and also, um, yeah, he's there to, like, mediate. At some point, he gets his head blown off with a shotgun <laughs> in a shot. That- oh, yes! 
this defies yes. belief. That was the other moment where I just like I scream guffawed. I mean, because it it's like a scanner's moment. Like his head explodes, and you see just his jaw left on his and on his neck. Yeah, and it's like a it's a not very convincing dummy that they use, and it just adds to the hilarity of it. It felt like um remember Beyond the Gates, not to go too deep in our Netflix catalog. Remember Beyond the Gates would like try to have honest emotional stakes and that would just like blow people's heads off in like a like a really jarring way. Had the same mood. That was that was mind blowing. My my head exploded in exactly the same way. <laughs> this movie so pummeled my brain that I don't remember what you guys are talking about. And this is a character too. This isn't just like a, a cop who shows up. This is the the cop that they've known from childhood, who was gay, who who hooked up with the other cop. Like I feel like I know this guy better than I know some people in my life. And they just blow explode his head like that. I almost want to express shock that you don't remember that, Stephen, but I didn't remember it until Chris brought it up. There's just so fucking much in this movie. It like it just it tested my my ability to sympathize with fictional characters on so many levels. Like it's, I didn't know where to place my energy at times. You know, I gave it a cue. It there was a lot that entertained me, but <laughs> to use a Stevens term, it was exhausting at times. I paused this multiple times. I rewound it multiple times. I was just like, it, it took a while to get through this movie for me. It felt long. It was, I mean, it was effortless to watch, but not so much to process certain things that happened in it. I mean, I, I, wow, I'm a big boy now. I watched it all in one sitting, but still, like, I, like, immediately afterward, I started reading reviews from the era, you know, from when it came out, trying to understand, like, how people received this when it came out. And as I was reading reviews, there were references to scenes that I had obviously just seen. 15 minutes before that didn't register with me at all. Maybe I'll make a super cut of the most insane moments. Oh, you should. <laughs> we'll put that on the socials. Put that on the socials. Yeah. Oh my God. That'll go viral. Oh my God. Yeah. It better go viral. Everybody, everybody thought the, uh, the Dabe video was some shit. Wait until they see this. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, it's... I really will deserve to go to jail. If I make this. <laughs> 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 yeah. all right well well speaking of things that people should go to jail for uh steven should probably tell us what we're gonna watch next episode so last time i picked a movie we went arbitrarily to the end of the alphabet this time had a great back, time we're going back to the beginning yeah we're going back to special characters we are going to watch hashtag alive oh, oh yes I hope it's as good as hashtag horror. So I will say (laughs) I did not pick this. I did not pick this because it's at the beginning of the alphabet slash special characters. I had actually heard of this movie when it was playing on the festival circuit and it had a really interesting poster and got some decent reviews. Uh, It's tomato meter has slid downward since more people have seen it. It is a zombie movie. Which you know I hate. Haven't done one of those in a while, though, I think. But yes, that is my justification. We haven't done one of those in a while. So, yeah, we're going back to the beginning. We're resetting. Year one, new president, new uh, new Amon. <laughs> and uh, we're going to watch Hashtag Alive. I hope it doesn't uh, wreck our brains too badly. 
All right. Well, uh, we're going to do that next episode, and hopefully we're all still a hashtag alive when it's over. Uh, but you'll just have to uh, listen to next episode. I just hope I just hope there's a scene of Timothy Hutton going batshit on seventh grade girls. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I I literally feel almost like I have PTSD just thinking about watching hashtag horror. Also, that seems like it was a decade ago. <laughs> Why is my girl crying? <laughs> uh, T Hut, one of his best performances. Oh boy! Instead of doing an episode on hashtag alive, we should just like put that on repeat for an hour and 10 minutes and release it as an episode. Okay. Anyway, we will see you next episode for hashtag alive. Do we have any, do we have anything else to say about anything to anyone before them? Just take care of yourselves. Be good. It's, it's bad out there. It is bad out there. <laughs> Be good to yourself. Be safe. Don't do drugs. Watch horror. God bless. For every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. I'm Steven. And we're all horny. Goodbye. <laughs>